So we are in uh, Ephesians chapter number four. We should be able to finish chapter four tonight. We left off uh, last week uh, in verse number 27. And here we see that uh, as we come, jump all the way back to uh, uh, verse number 22, Paul is telling us to put, to put off the former conversation, the former lifestyle, that old man which is corrupt, and that we should be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and that we should put on the new man in verse number 24. And then he goes through a list of things that we should put away. Verse 25, he says, should put away lying, speak every man truth uh, with his neighbor, uh, for remembers one of another. In verse 26, he tells us to be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down uh, on our wrath. And then um, in verse 27, where we ended up, he said, neither give place uh, to the devil. So we should not give any ground. Uh, we should stand our ground and we should not uh, give in. Uh, I, am, I believe that the church as a whole uh, has given ground over the past several years uh, to the world and to Satan, uh, and we've given him uh, parts of the church sometimes, and we've given him parts of our lives. And in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 57 and 58, well, first of all, right there in 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump of God shall sound, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the twinkling of an eye. said that this mortal shall put on immor immortality, this, this uh, corruptible shall put on incorruption. Then shall be brought to pass the saying, O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? And then he says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the very next word, he said, therefore, so because of these things, because in a moment of tweaking of eye, we're going to be changed, because we're going to go to heaven, because that everything we do for God is going to be eternal. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So that's what uh, Apostle Paul teaches us, that we should stand strong. We should be unmovable. I, when I think about that verse, I think about uh, uh, a grandmother that's been uh, my grandmother, that she, she, she lived for the Lord longer than I was even alive. And I can remember on Sunday mornings, I'd be at her house and she'd have uh, the, the radio station on and have gospel music playing really loud. And I never understood why she wanted to play gospel music before we went to church. I didn't but I do the same thing now. I have my gospel music playing on Sunday morning while I'm getting ready. Uh, but if, you, if you'd have tried to convince her that there was some other way to live, if you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine somebody trying to convince a, 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 a godly grandmother or a godly grandfather that's been living for God for 30, 40 years that there's a better way? No, they're steadfast, unmovable. The stronger we get in uh, our spiritual strength, the more mature we get spiritually, the more unmovable we are and the more steadfast we are and the more we want to abound in the work of the Lord. My grandmother, when she was, uh, when she was in the nursing home there toward the end of her life, every single person, it didn't matter who it was, it didn't matter if it was a preacher, it didn't matter if it was a deacon, every person that came in her room, she witnessed to them. 
she talked to them about the Lord every chance she got. And that's where we all should be. That's where all of us should be. So now, when we look in verse number 28, uh, he says, Paul is continuing here um, to give actions of the old nature that we should put off. He says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give unto him that needs it. So here Paul, I mean, he's saying the obvious, isn't he? He's talking to Christians. He said we should put on the new man, put off the old man. He says we shouldn't steal no more. <laughs> so if you're a thief, you, you shouldn't be a thief and be a Christian. Those things don't go together. So he said, he said steal no more, work with your hands, and give to those people that are in need. You see, when we are, the more Christ-like we are, the, the less we take and the more we give. Because is that not Jesus Christ in a nutshell? He didn't come to take. He didn't come to receive. He didn't come for glory. He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He came to seek sinners uh, that the, the whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Uh, he come so that he could give himself for all of humanity. He didn't come looking for anything. He come looking to do something for other people. So if we uh, are Christ-like, if we're a Christian, a man and a woman of faith, then we should uh, not be uh, stealing, obviously. Uh, we should be working with our hands. Working is uh, part of God's plan, that we should earn a living, that we should uh, uh, take care of our family and take care of the household and all those things, uh, and that we should give to those that are in need. John chapter 10, verse 7 down through verse number 10, this is Jesus Christ speaking. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Then in verse number 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's talking about the devil. He's talking about Satan himself. He's a thief, and he's come to kill, to steal, and destroy. He said, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, when we, when we steal uh, and we take things that, that don't belong to us, we are identifying with Satan and the world. But when we give, we are identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. So people say, well, well, Terry, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't steal anything. Well, sometimes it's, sometimes I think we forget the definition of stealing. So if, if there's something that is not ours and we take it and didn't pay for it, technically that's stealing. So if we take a pair of gloves from work, a pair of work gloves, if we take a box of pens from work, those kind of things. If we, if there's a, if there's a jug of hand soap sitting over there, a half a gallon of hand soap, and nobody's looking, so we take that home, so we don't have to buy hand soap at Walmart. All that stuff's stealing. So, and here's what we got to understand: why, 
why did Paul tell us not to steal? Because, and we're going to get into it here in a little bit, because it grieved the Holy Spirit of God. Those, those kind of things drive a wedge in between us and God the Father. Now, John Phillips, he had a, a great, I've got a great quote here from John Phillips. <clears throat> and uh, when, I, when I read this, I actually uh, kind of chuckled and I wanted to share it with you. He said, one reason for the low ethical standards all too common among professing Christians today is that some leaders no longer preach repentance as a prerequisite to regeneration. They foster an easy believism that makes no moral demands on the conscience of the new convert. Yet the very word conversion implies a change of belief and of behavior. It seems incredible that the Holy Spirit should have to spell it out. Now that you're saved, don't steal, go to work. I just thought that was funny. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, had to, he had to get real plain with us. It, it said it's a sad commentary on our moral decay that the Bible must be so specific about what should be so obvious. So why would God impress Paul to write something like that? Because he created us and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that he can't take anything for granted, that we, we have to have it spelled out for us. And I'm glad that he did. I'm glad he didn't leave anything uh, to guesswork. Now, when we get into verse number 29, it gets real interesting. Once again, uh, as I said last week, uh, Paul uh, really um, started uh, getting into uh, our personal business when he started naming sin. I uh, mentioned last week that uh, when, we, when we preach on sin, that's fine. But when we start preaching on individual sins and start naming them, that's when people get upset because as long as you're preaching on somebody else's sin, everything's fine. But when you start preaching on their sin, that's when it becomes a problem. And I, you other preachers probably had the same thing. I've had so many people that I preach a message, and I didn't know what was going on in that person's life. I didn't know nothing about it. Nobody come and told me, and I preach a message, and, and one of my points, whatever, uh, you know, convicted their heart, and they get mad, and they come to me. Who told you? Why are you in my business? I said, bro, I didn't know. I didn't know a thing. <laughs> I, now I know because you came and told me. But that I had no earthly idea, and that's what we got to understand. Most of the time, and people get mad at the preacher when he preaches messages like that because they think, well, he's meddling in my business. You have to understand, the majority of the time, that man in the pulpit had no idea why the Holy Spirit of God put that message on his heart or impressed him to say the things that he said. No idea. Now, sometimes, I'm not going to say that all preachers are perfect. Sometimes they may uh, intentionally try to hurt somebody's feeling, but most of the time, uh, when the when the Holy Spirit of God is moving, uh, we really have no idea who it's who it's meant for, or, or uh, what it's for. But verse number twenty nine, it starts getting really deep. I mean, obviously, in verse number twenty eight, don't steal, uh, work with your hands, and give to people. Those are those are kind of the easy things. Those are obvious things. But in verse twenty nine, it gets a little deeper. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So it's important that we understand uh, the words. And 
uh, definition of words, I do that a lot whenever I study the Word of God and whenever I teach uh, uh, the Bible, whenever I preach. I, I really want to understand the words and what it means because when you understand the meaning of the words, it, it really emphasizes the meaning of the verse. So he said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now that word corrupt comes from a Greek word that means bad, rotten, or worthless. Most of the time when people see that verse and they say, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, our mind immediately goes to uh, profanity and curse words. So as long as we don't curse, there's no corrupt communication coming out of our mouth, right? No, that's not, it. that's not what it means at all. It means that it shouldn't be bad, that it shouldn't be rotten, and it shouldn't be worthless. So when we say things that are worthless, when we say things that are negative, when we say things that are bad, those things that are hurtful, that's what Paul's talking about. That's corrupt communication. That's communication that's not helping anybody. It's hurting people. That's what he's talking about here. And then this word communication is really important because it means something that's said with your mouth. Now, if you remember in this same chapter, back, back in verse number 22, we had a similar word. Uh, so it said that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. And remember what we talked about there, that word conversation means lifestyle. It means our actions, the way we live. But here, it's a completely different word, and it's translated as communication. So this doesn't mean our lifestyle. It actually means how we communicate. It actually means the spoken word. But the meaning of that word goes much more than just the things that are said with our mouth. It also implies and includes the thoughts of our mind. So when he says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, what he's saying is, is those things, those corrupt things that we think in our mind shouldn't come out of our mouth. But then it, it, if you look at it, really, it's even deeper that those corrupt thoughts shouldn't be in our head in the first place. We, we should have a pure mind. We should have a loving heart. We should be uh, uh, looking <clears throat> to to bless other people. And, you know, there's a lot of people that, and I've heard it said, and, and I've said it a couple of times jokingly to people, uh, you know, and a lot of times people think, if you think it, it's not a sin, but if you say it, it is. Well, if you're cursing somebody out in your head, that's, God sees that, it, it, it doesn't have to come out of your mouth to God, for God to know that we're thinking it. So we can have corrupt thoughts, and that's what this is talking about here. And a lot of times people think, well, what you think is not a sin. Well, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he says, Casting down imaginations and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So we need to have, not only do we need to have a pure uh, speaking, not only do we need to have a pure living, we need to have a pure mind. We, we need to uh, bring into captivity every thought, everything that enters in our head. And then uh, he goes on here in verse number 29 and says, uh, so we should not have corrupt communication, but he said, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So that word edifying we've seen uh Three different times in this chapter, we saw it in verse number 12, we saw it in verse number 16, 
And now Paul's using it again here in verse number 29. And that means to build up or to lift up to encourage somebody. So when we think about it, when we, when we speak to people and we say things that tears them down, that's sinful. Everything that we say, everything that we think should be building people up. And it, see, it's easy to give good words and to build people up when they're good people. But what about the Christian that's struggling? What about the Christian that's struggling with addiction or struggling with sin? We don't, j- just because they're not where they should be when their Christian life with God does not give us the right to attack them verbally, to talk about them behind their back. Sometimes people say, uh, well, if, as long as you're telling the truth, it's not gossip. Just because you know something bad about somebody doesn't mean you need to share that with everybody you know because that's corrupt communication. When you have communication that tears other people down and makes people look bad, and every one of us have done it. I've had people in my life that I've looked up to, that I admired, that I thought was great, and somebody came and told me something that they did, some past sin that they did, and it completely changed my outlook on that person. And it made me angry that they told me because I, 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 now when I see them, I think about that thing that somebody told me, that if I didn't know, I could still see that person in a positive light but now their life is tainted a little bit in my mind because that person came and told me something about them that was bad now who did that benefit when when we if i know something bad on chad and i share that with other people in the church who does that benefit does that benefit the lord jesus christ does that benefit the church as a whole does it bring us closer together in unity no it benefits satan that's who it benefits And it drives a wedge. Listen, there has been so many church splits over the years because two people in the church couldn't get along and they were backbiting and talking about each other and and ended up getting the whole church to pick sides and choose sides. And then their little spat became something that destroyed the entire ministry. That's what Paul says we have to guard against right here. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You know what you should do if you know something bad on somebody? You should go tell somebody about it. You go to the Heavenly Father and you rat them out and you tell on them. And you pray for them and say, God, I know they did this. God, you help them. You bless them. You help them to get through it. And then you keep your mouth shut and don't share it with another person. Because everything that comes out of our mouth should be that which edifies and lifts people up and builds people up and strengthens them. But a lot of times it's so easy to fall into the trap of Satan and to viciously attack other people. So Matthew chapter 12, Jesus Christ is speaking. And he said, O generation of vipers, vipers meaning poisonous snakes, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Listen to this. Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So when you hear somebody talk, you can see into their heart and soul by the things that they say. That's what Jesus Christ said. So if somebody's always got something negative to say about the church, negative to say about the pastor, negative to say about the deacons, negative to say about the the color of the paint or the mural or anything else, why did the church do this, why didn't they do that? When there's a constant negative barrage of things, you see into their heart and soul. 
that's who they are. That's what comes out of our mouth. Who we truly are eventually is going to come out. He said in verse 35, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. So if our heart's good, good things come out. He said, And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bring forth evil things. So when we, when we look at somebody's conversation, with their communication, how they talk, how they think, what they say about other people and how they act, we see if their heart is good or if their heart's evil. I didn't say that. Jesus Christ said it in Matthew chapter number 12. Verse 36, he went on to say, he said, but I say unto you. So Jesus had this way of raising the bar all the time. <laughs> you know, if you, if you really look at it, he's saying, he's saying, a good man out of the good treasure bring forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. And then he goes and raises the bar on it. He said, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. So when we say that negative thing about the pastor, when we say that negative thing about the man that, that just got through preaching, when we say or think that negative thing about that person that testified because we know something on them and who are they to stand up and praise God in church when we know what they did two weeks ago or whatever because somebody told us, he said that we would give account for every idle word, everything that we say. See, a lot of times people think that we're going to stand before God and give an account for our actions because that's, that's the only way we can sin, right? It's through actions. No, that's not. He said that we're going to give an account for every idle word, that if we, if we have corrupt communication, that is just as sinful as punching somebody in the nose. When we attack them and tear them down in front of other people, that is just as much a sin as if we attack them physically. The only difference is if you attack them physically, you're going to get arrested and go to jail. And if you attack them verbally, people are going to think you're a great person because you're out there, you know, attacking people. Now, in verse 37, now, <clears throat> listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse number 37. Not only did he say that we're going to give an account for every idle word that we speak. He said, for by thy words thou shalt be justified. Wait, no, 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 Terry. We're justified by our actions. I'm justified because I come to church. I'm justified because I sing in the choir. I'm justified because I sang a special. I'm justified because I stood up and, and, and uh, gave a testimony. I'm justified because I prayed. I'm justified because I read my Bible. I'm not saying that those aren't, but Jesus raised the bar on us. He said, for by our words we're justified. And then he said, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So what we speak and what we say about other people, we may not take it seriously, but God does. God takes it very seriously. And I will tell you right now, sometimes a pastor or a preacher does things wrong. We're all human. Everybody can sin. Everybody can make mistakes. But let me tell you something. You better be real, real careful 
if the man of God is being led by the Spirit of God and he preaches a message that came from the throne of God through the power of the Holy Spirit of God and it offends you and you start attacking him and talking about him, you, you better be careful because God is not on your side. If God sent the message and the Holy Spirit of God impressed that message and spoke through that man when he was standing behind that pulpit and you start attacking him, you've got to understand, you're attacking God himself. And you better be careful. That's all I'm saying. You better be careful before you start attacking the man of God. So in James chapter 3, he said, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among your members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And the tongue is set on fire of hell. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not be so. So as Christians, if, if we're praising one person and tearing another person down, it says these things ought not be so. Listen, what did, what did my mama teach me when I was little? And probably your parents taught you the same thing. If you don't have something good to say about somebody, don't say nothing at all. Where did that come from? Was it because my mama was real smart? No, it came from the word of God right here. That's what, that's what it says right here in James, that if we, if we can't say something good, don't say nothing at all. Here's what we've got to understand and remember. Words are very powerful. They can be used for good or for evil. We should always speak words that build people up, not words that tear people down. Then in verse number 30, he said, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed until the day of redemption. So this word grieve means to distress, to make sorrowful, or to offend. We shouldn't distress or offend the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is grieved or offended by sin, especially the sins of our tongue and of our mouth, because that's what Paul just got through talking about. And then he said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. So what he means is, is these things grieve the Holy Spirit of God. James chapter 4, uh, verse 4 and 5 said, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth within us, talking about the Holy Spirit of God, he said, lusteth to envy. What that means is, is the Holy Spirit sees those things that we do, and he is grieved by it. He is burdened by it. He's troubled by it. And he lusts to have that place in our heart and in our life. He says, I wish they cared that much about me as they care about attacking that other person. I wish they cared enough about their, their fellow Christian that they would build them up rather than tear them down. So the Holy Spirit of God can be grieved. I love this quote. I know I give a lot of quotes from John Phillips, but he says a lot of really good stuff. So he said, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. This is a sin of the individual believer. The word grieve is a love word. I'd never thought about this this way before. But he said, the word grieve is a love word. You cannot grieve someone that doesn't love you. You might annoy them, upset them, infuriate them, or disappoint them, but you cannot grieve them. You can only grieve someone who loves you. Man, when you think about it that way, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he loves you. 
And when we step outside the will of God, it grieves him because of his great love for us. And, of course, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, that's the stamp of security. John chapter 14 says that he's gonna, Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. He will abide with you forever. They said that you will know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And verse, or chapter uh, Hebrews 13, 5 says that he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So this is what we got to remember. Sometimes we forget this. When, when we're in that uh, uh, private place and we're having thoughts or we're, we're doing things, we're, we're spreading rumors that, that most people in the church don't know about, the Holy Spirit of God knows all about every bit of it. And it grieves his heart and his soul. Then in verse number 31, um, he says, "Let." <laughs> so Paul gives us a list of things here. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So what are all these things? Well, bitterness is that feeling of antagonism, hostility, hostility or resentfulness. When we, when we have hard feelings toward other people, we resent other people. Did you know, a lot of times when we think about bitterness, we think about people that have done us wrong and done us dirty or whatever, and we're bitter against that person. But sometimes we're bitter against people that didn't do anything wrong. It happens because we're human. You, could, you can have a preacher that has bitterness and, and resentment toward another preacher because they think that that person is showing them up or doing better than them. You can have resentment between uh, people that play the instrument. That person, you know, they, they did that run on that guitar just trying to show me up and make me look bad. But one person will get up and sing a song, and then the person gets up after them and sings a song, and just God blesses them, and they wear it out, and the person that sang first is resentful because they, you know, here they, they were just trying to out-sing me. Now, is that true? Maybe, maybe not. But most of the time, that's thoughts that come from Satan. The, those kind of thoughts are bred in the pits of hell, not from the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we have to realize. And then he talks about wrath. So bitterness is that resentfulness and hostility. Wrath, that word wrath means fierceness. What he's talking about here is an explosion of anger. So the bitterness is that resentment and anger in our hearts. Wrath is when we lose our temper and we explode on somebody. And we tell them off and we give them a piece of our mind. Warren Wiersbe uh, said, Bitterness refers to a settled hostility that poisons the whole inner man. Somebody does something that we don't like, so we harbor ill will against them. Bitterness leads to wrath, which is the explosion on the outside of the feelings on the inside. Then he said that not only bitterness and wrath, but clamor. Clamor is a loud, persistent outcry and expression of outrage. And that happens in churches all across the country and all across the world. Somebody, the pastor will say something or the church will make a decision that somebody don't agree with, and what do they do? They clamor. It's a constant outcry of outrage. I can't believe the church would do that. I can't believe the church would spend that money on that thing. I can't believe the church did that for that family. We shouldn't be spending money that way. So, you know, what we got to realize is, is God put people in places of leadership in the church for a reason and for a purpose. And if something, if, 
listen, if I don't like something that this church sends, spends their money on, I should talk about it. I should talk to God about it. And the people that made that decision, if it was the will of God, they'll be blessed and I'll be blessed because I go with it, right? But if it's wrong, then I can pray for the ministry. I can pray for the people that made that decision and they will give an account to God. But if I go around spreading rumors and clamoring and talking about them, now I am just as wrong as they are and now I have to give an account to God. Because let me tell you something. God is more powerful than you and I, and we just need to leave his children's discipline to him. If somebody does something wrong, if somebody uh, uh, makes a bad decision, whatever, we need to let God deal with it. Then there's malice, which is the desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another. And that's what bitterness causes. Bitterness causes wrath, that explosion of anger. It causes clamor. We go around talking about it to everybody. And then that, that wish to inflict harm or see, some, see something bad happen to somebody else. Then in verse number 32, he says, And so, so not only all these things that we shouldn't do that we should put off, but he says, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you because you were a good person that's not what he says he says even as god for christ's sake forgave you so i we all of us need to remember my sins have not been forgiven by a holy god because i'm a good person my sins weren't forgiven by a holy god because i surrendered to the call to preach or because i read my bible or because i pray or any my sins were forgiven by a holy and just God for one reason, one reason only, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I didn't deserve it. I didn't, I didn't earn it. There was nothing I could have done to, to uh, make retribution for my sin. Well, the person that did you wrong and did me wrong, they may not deserve our forgiveness. They may not even want our forgiveness. They may not ask for our forgiveness, but we should forgive them for Christ's sake. The same reason that God forgave us. It was for the cause of Christ. Now, Paul's talking about all these actions that we should have now. We've got to remember that we don't forgive others uh, because they deserve it, but because Christ has forgiven us. John Phillips, I have a quote from him. He says, here Paul emphasized the positive. He told us we must display spiritual graces instead of soul-destroying grudges. How can we do less? We must forgive others for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as God has forgiven us for what we did to Him, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We might not be able to achieve the kind of total revolution of inner disposition demanded by the Holy Spirit all at once. God is reasonable. He knows our frame. He makes allowances for us to learn and to practice and to grow, even though we already have the indwelling Holy Spirit to provide the energizing power needed for the change. But God does demand that here and now, right away, we start putting away the old nature and start putting on the new. So what is, what is Philip's trying to say here? He's saying that God doesn't expect us to go from zero to 60. God's a patient God. He knows that when we first get saved or when our lives aren't right, that it's a process, and he gives us time. But he also says that we should take that. 
that, that, that we should make an effort, that we should start the process now, and we should continue the process of putting off the old man and putting on the new. So just in recap, what did Paul tell us to put off? Lying, stealing, corrupt communications, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, that's talking bad about other people, and malice. So what should we put on? We should have a heart of forgiveness. We should work hard. We should give to others. We should edify and build up others and do those things that minister grace unto others. All right, so that wraps up Ephesians chapter 4. We'll get into Ephesians chapter number 5 next time.